a rise in youth violence. The disturbing trend of beating and humiliation. It's absolutely disgusting what you've done to my daughter. Action against anti-Asian hate. All forms of hate and racism and discrimination need to be denounced. A day to raise awareness and improve the lives of racialized Canadians. And healthcare vaccination rates. If you haven't got that third dose, um, go get it now. Where you're most likely to encounter an unvaccinated health professional. And the latest on lagging booster shots. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with a series of violent and disturbing incidents involving young people. Vancouver police held a press conference today detailing a number of attacks involving youth, including at least one incident caught on video. Kamal Karmali is live outside VPD headquarters with more on the violence and the appeal for information. Kamal. Sophie, the concerning incidents include swarmings, robberies, violent rituals, and have resulted in many teens getting injured. Now, since spring break, VPD say they've seen teens with imitation guns, brass knuckles, even machetes. And uh, here's one example of a concerning incident to them involving teens. This one happened on April 9th. A teen had a pellet gun held to his head by another youth. This is at the steps of the Vancouver Art Gallery. Now, the victim never came forward. Instead, this was reported to police by Art Gallery security. VPD noted at least three others today, one where a 13-year-old was lured into Stanley Park, then kicked pepper sprayed and robbed by drunk teens. Another where two teens in two separate incidents were robbed at knife point and assaulted in Kerrisdale. And more recently, a 19-year-old pepper sprayed and his backpack stolen by sixth youths also in Kerrisdale. Now, police say these incidents often go unreported and they're asking victims to come forward. So we're imploring young people to come forward if they're a victim of violence or they have any information about um, a violent incident um, for two reasons, so that they can uh, get help uh, if they need it, but also to prevent other people from uh, falling victim. Now, Deputy Premier today, Mike Farnworth, uh, called the incidents despicable and uh, referenced programs currently in place in local schools that combat bullying, but did not commit to anything or adding any new measures to combat this current trend that's uh, concerning VPD. Back over to you. All right, thanks for that. Kamal Karmali reporting at VPD headquarters. And to emphasize the point, a warning about our next story. It includes video that will be disturbing to some viewers. It shows a teenage girl being brutally swarmed in Surrey. As Ramina Dea reports, the 15-year-old victim was beaten and humiliated while potentially dozens of witnesses recorded and then shared video of the attack. How can you possibly protect your kid from this? The 15-year-old victim allegedly set up, lured to Hillcrest Elementary in Cloverdale for birthday cake with friends Saturday night. I'm devastated. I'm heartbroken. I'm... I can't believe that kids have gone out and would severely harm another child this bad or humiliate or degrade someone the way they did to my daughter. And to find out that there were 25 to 50 kids standing around videotaping my daughter getting beat up. 
The victim's mother tells us her daughter was threatened at knife point, beaten and humiliated for no reason. No one can be identified because of the Youth Criminal Justice Act. Mom unable to breathe when she sees the horrifying video of the bloody attack on social media. A disturbing bullying trend happens next. Was not beating her enough. They made her kiss their shoes and degrade her in front of 50 kids. This is disgusting. Surrey RCMP confirm no one on scene called 911. Residents who heard the screaming were the first to call police. The Mounties tell us one youth was arrested but released on a promise to appear. Other teens have been identified. No charges have been laid. As a parent, I think that seeing your child uh, participating in something like that would be extremely disturbing. We have had uh, a couple of parents come forward at this time who have recognized their own child or uh, other people that were... The victim walked away with her life, but her injuries run deep. A fractured nose, black eyes, cuts, bruises and mental trauma. The teen terrified to go out. She's been pulled from school. Mom pleading for help to ID everyone involved. They're cowards. The people that stood around and did not help my daughter are cowards. <laughs> you deserve to be charged. You deserve to go down as much as the girls that beat my daughter do. And if I were your parents, I'd be dragging you to the police station. Bullying and assault is never okay. Romina Dea, Global News. Well, anti-Asian racism and violence has grown to alarming levels over the pandemic. And today, a number of rallies are being held across Metro Vancouver and Canada to fight the problem. Krista Dow is live at the rally in the Commercial Drive neighborhood tonight. Krista, organizers are hoping their efforts will bring about much-needed action. That's exactly the goal here, Sophie. Members of the community say they are here to raise awareness about hate crimes against the Asian population, but also hopefully bring about meaningful change. They have been blatant and prevalent. You brought the coronavirus in this country and you're killing our people. Anti-Asian racism crime soaring since the start of the pandemic. And two years in, there's little sign of change. In Chinatown, vandalism and graffiti occur almost weekly. There's seniors. They, What I'm hearing from them, there's a lot of fear in the community. Um, there's a lot of worry. They're afraid to come out of their house, right? Because the issue of this anti-Asian crime... The latest figures for 2021 show almost 1,000 incidents of anti-Asian racism across Canada. That's up 47% from 2020, which already saw a record-breaking surge in hate crimes against Asians. Two-thirds of the victims were women. The group most impacted the South Asian community up more than 300%, Southeast Asians up 121%, and reports of assault an increase of 42%. These jarring statistics are why community members are speaking out, holding several rallies across the Lower Mainland on this National Day of Action against anti-Asian racism. There are many victims are suffering silently, right? They feel hurt. They feel like they don't belong to Canada. And we want to come out and show them, show our solidarity. Nobody should have to feel unsafe uh, in the public spaces because uh, we all 
we all should be protected under the law. While one day of awareness won't eliminate racism, there is hope it's one step toward greater equality. But members here say they can't do it alone. Great start uh, must be to kind of prioritize and, and invest in these small businesses and these ethnic neighborhoods. We're not going to tolerate any more racism, hate and discrimination. And as we heard there from Lorraine Lowe, she and others say the government just needs to support these small businesses, help build them up and hopefully bring about some of that meaningful change and help change those attitudes. Sophie. All right. Let's uh, hope it happens. Thanks for that. Krista Dow reporting in Vancouver. The number of British Columbians who have received a third booster dose of the COVID-19 vaccine is low compared to the first and second doses. As if to remind us we're still in a pandemic, BC health officials updated the vaccine program status this afternoon. And as Richard Zussman reports, with a continuing threat from COVID, the province is making a push for boosters. It is the invite more than a million British Columbians have so far ignored the chance to get a COVID-19 booster shot. We want to really encourage people who are over 70 or who are invited for their fourth dose to get it and all the other people because the big vaccination task is still all the people who haven't got their third doses yet. Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix briefing for the first time in more than a month, an attempt to close that vaccine gap. More than 4.35 million people have received two doses, which is 2.72 million receiving a third, and only 78,362 people having received their fourth dose. If you haven't got that third dose, um, go get it now. That protection is good enough to get us through Omicron. Unlike Quebec, British Columbia is strictly controlling four doses. In Quebec, anyone over the age of 18 can get that second booster. Whereas in BC, only those 70 plus are eligible now and only six months after the third shot. There really is very good protection from three doses for most people up to age, actually really up to age 80, um, but definitely up to age 70. For those sitting on the text message without an appointment yet, there are plenty available at pharmacies across the province. Those six months to five years, not yet eligible, but their shot may soon be coming. It is potential that we'll have vaccination for younger kids um, as probably maybe even as early as late summer. So that's something to look for. The province still struggling to understand why so many eligible for the shot aren't getting it. One possibility is now more than half of all British Columbians have had COVID-19 and with it some natural immunity. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And the province released a breakdown today of how many healthcare professionals in BC are fully vaccinated. The health minister says they are sharing the data so people can decide whether they want to receive in-person services. But exactly how detailed information will be released is still up for debate. Kylie Stanton has the details. From doctors to dentists. Let's take a look here. Optometrists to occupational therapists. Left hip out. There are 18 different colleges regulating healthcare workers in BC. And according to new data released Tuesday, the vast majority have been fully vaccinated against COVID-19. About 94% overall have been vaccinated or are medically exempt. The information was gathered from 17 of the 18 regulated colleges. 
Nurses and midwives are not currently included due to the high volume of registered workers, but that data is expected in the coming weeks. Dietitians, physicians, and surgeons led the way with vaccination rates of 98%, followed by occupational therapists at 97%, while the lowest rates were found among traditional Chinese medicine practitioners and acupuncturists at 79%, chiropractors at 78.1%, and finally, naturopaths at 69.2%. It's unfortunate that there aren't more uh, NDs who are vaccinated, but we'll keep pushing at it and certainly we support it. The province is now working with the colleges on how to notify patients about their practitioner's status. Back in March, the provincial health officer issued an order meant to assist the public in making informed decisions about whether or not they wanted to receive in-person services. But exactly what that will look like is still under consideration. It may be things like when you called to book an appointment, um, you're asked if you have a preference to see a, a vaccinated or unvaccinated. So we are trying to work out those details in a way that protects privacy, but also gives um, agency to people to make those decisions. Dr. Henry warning the numbers are likely an underestimation. Some people have been reluctant or slow to respond to the college's need for this information. And only recently, alternatives to the mRNA vaccines have been made available, which may help boost the rates going forward. I hope that seeing this and seeing that the vast majority in every regulated health professional will be reassuring to people. Kylie Stanton, Global News. And we'll bring in Keith Baldry now for a closer look at the geographical breakdown of vaccination. Keith, some trends emerged early in the vaccine program. Are those trends holding? Yes, they are. So if you recall, early in the vaccine program, the first and second dose taken up by much larger numbers percentage-wise in urban areas, particularly Metro Vancouver and Vancouver Island Fraser Health Authority, lower numbers in the interior and the health. What do the third doses look like? The same pattern we're seeing, folks. So again, Fraser Health, more than 900,000 third doses either booked or administered, about two-thirds of the, those eligible. Vancouver Coastal, slightly higher percentage at 71%, as is Vancouver Island. But the interior and the north, again, lag the rest of the province for the most part. Uh, again, the interior just over 400,000 at 65 percent. In the north, 115,000 at 60 percent. The total 2.73 million third doses have been administered, a little more than half of those eligible over the age of five. So the today's news conference held largely not so much about the information on health professionals' vaccination rates, but a reminder to get your third dose. There is going to be, your, your immunity is going to wane over time, particularly if you're an older age demographic. Dr. Henry today expressing concerns about what might unfold in the fall when we have the new the next respiratory illness season we could see a heightened spread of COVID-19 associated with that if you don't have your your booster dose by then you could be in some trouble in contracting the illness and getting severely ill all right we hope it doesn't come to that but thanks for the analysis Keith Baldry in Victoria thanks Keith Predicting the future of floods, an ominous warning to prepare for high water with a lot of snow still in the mountains. That's next on the News Hour. Scanning for treasure, how a BC company could help lift the curse of Oak Island with this device. And certain e-bikes banned from the rail trail. Why riders are in an uproar in one of BC's top tourist destinations later. Right now, though, B.C.'s River Forecast Centre says the province is facing a perfect storm for what could be significant spring flooding. Amadagahi has more on what could happen if two extreme weather conditions collide and why it'll be a familiar scenario for some British Columbians. 
these pictures show dramatically the Greendale area from Lickman Road to the canal was inundated. The videotapes have aged since, but the geography is recognizable. In late May of 1948, the Fraser River overflowed its banks, forcing thousands of evacuations, while some 2,300 homes were destroyed. It was a cool spring leading up to that event. Conditions that British Columbians would agree sound familiar. Well, across the province, in fact, all of Western Canada, we've definitely had a cold April. Uh, some places, you know, a degree and a half, two and a half degrees, even getting close to four degrees. There is now evidence that April's cooler weather significantly slowed the freshet, or spring thaw. Reports from the BC River Forecast Centre show the provincial average snowpack sits at 113% of normal for this time of year. By sections, it is even higher. The longer that the snowmelt gets delayed, the greater the risk. In 1948, the snowpack levels were also heavier late into spring, which brings us to the third and final factor. It's now just the, the hypothetical question of if a tremendous heat wave occurs and, and lasts for an extended period of time. It, it would have to be at least four days. The hypothetical worst case weather scenario would be this. For the situation to reach its most concerning level in regard to potential rapid snowmelt and flood events, cooler temperatures would have to continue each day leading up to the May long weekend, followed by a significant warm-up and potential heat wave lasting several days. At the current moment, that's not necessarily in the forecast, but uh, the risk is that if that scenario does occur, we could see some pretty rapid uh, rises in the rivers. By no means is the report predicting an event like the Great Flood, but it shows current conditions are similar enough to hope for a gradual warming in temperature. Heading into the final days of May, Emadagahi Global News. Senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more on that short-term forecast. And yes, find a wish for warmer weather just not too quickly, it sounds like. That's exactly right. A gradual warm-up would be ideal. So, Chris, the current scenario, which is a La Nina-driven pattern where we're seeing cool, unsettled weather, is expected to last for the next sort of seven days or so. But beyond that, giving an accurate forecast is pretty much impossible. What we do know, though, is that La Nina conditions are expected. There's a 59% chance that they uh, could last through spring and summer. But that doesn't mean we couldn't see some swings, meaning that we could see a period of prolonged heat or intense rain come late May and into June. So we're really urging everyone to stay tuned to the local forecast. Make sure you keep up to date and we'll do our best to make, keep, make sure that you're prepared. No, you will. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. Wildfire fighting tankers have landed at the Penticton Airport ahead of wildfire season. This is generally around when they start to arrive. So we have aired eight air tanker bases across the province. This is one of those bases. There are three planes there, um, and there's a total of 28 across the province. The Penticton Tanker Group was dispatched Saturday and will remain at the airport until September or until they're no longer needed. The group includes three air tankers ready to serve the entire region if a wildfire breaks out. The community can expect to see the tankers flying throughout the next couple of weeks, but BC Wildfire Service says given the cooler temperatures and low fire activity at the moment, these will likely be practice flights. 
they are large and they are very visible. So it's not uncommon for people to see them coming and going from Penticton, but they will be heading out um, to areas where they will practice, but but will be not very visible. If people do see them out flying around or and are concerned that there may be a fire in the area, I would say first check the BC Wildfire Service app or our public um, dashboard to, to find out if there is a fire in the area. And if there isn't, it is likely that they're just heading out to practice. BC Wildfire Service is also reminding residents now is the time to start preparing for wildfire season, which includes making an evacuation plan and packing an emergency kit. Always good advice. All right, just ahead, streaker on aisle six. How Walmart shoppers got a lot more than they bargained for. And after a former Delta police officer came forward with allegations of sexual harassment and bullying on the job, one-time whistleblower says nothing has changed. Traffic is steady in both directions here at the Patello Bridge this evening with just some minor congestion southbound on McBride through the Queen's Park stretch. When renewing your ICBC Auto Plan insurance online, select your nearest Sussex insurance when prompted. For all online broker benefits, peace of mind and best rates, select Sussex insurance today. I'm sure she was in Global One at the Patello Bridge. This May, join me for the BC Cancer Foundation's Workout to Conquer Cancer. Sign up on your own or as a team, and let's move every day this May and help change cancer outcomes. Register today at workouttoconquercancer.ca. Hotel workers involved in a labor dispute at the Hilton Vancouver Metro town have reached a tentative agreement. According to the union, the deal was reached early this morning after two days of mediation. The ratification vote will be held tomorrow. If approved, the labor dispute will end on Wednesday. Workers could be back on the job as soon as Thursday. The union says the workers were locked out in April of 2021 when hotel management terminated employees in several departments because of the pandemic. But hotel management has maintained the workers have been on strike. The former RCMP officer behind a multi-million dollar class action lawsuit against the force is offering her support to a former Delta police officer. Janet Merlot says it was difficult to watch Global's story about Helen Irvine, who quit after repeated bullying and harassment. As Catherine Urquhart reports, Merlot wants the story or warns that the story shows how pervasive sexism remains in all types of policing. Discrimination, harassment, and sexual assault led to $125 million being paid out to more than 2,300 women in the RCMP. Now the plaintiff in that case, Janet Merlot, is speaking out again, this time in support of a fellow officer who recently resigned from Delta Police. We are in full support of her because nobody comes forward and makes these allegations without some without something big behind it and because it, it destroys your career and you know it's uh it's hard to watch but yeah she has our full support helen irvine was a delta police officer for eight years but the 35 year old says it was a toxic workplace and she became a target of bullying harassment and sexual harassment there was this game that they would play called would you rather they'd be like oh you know would you would you rather have the sex with this person and this person would be sitting right in front of me or get eaten by an alligator. This was while you were on the job they posed oh, these yeah. questions. Yeah. Were these colleagues, bosses? Both. 
Irvine complained to Human Resources and, following a months-long investigation in 2018, was told this. They said, we believe you. We believe everything that you've told us actually happened. But we don't have enough evidence to do anything about it. Helen Irvine's experience in Delta is especially troubling for Merlot, who worked tirelessly to get justice for her RCMP colleagues. And yet, she says, harassment continues. I think it is across the board because you look through Ontario with the Waterloo police and the Hamilton police and and even back east when I was there, I heard some rumblings in, in the Newfoundland police force. So I think it's I think it's systemic, not only in the RCMP, it's in policing right across Canada. Merlot is calling for more to be done in policing to support women and help stop discrimination and harassment. To see another good, productive person leave a police force because of harassment and bullying, it just, it should be unacceptable right across Canada. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A surprise for shoppers in a Surrey Walmart last weekend. Police responded to a call for a naked man racing through the store with only a shopping cart for cover. He managed to disappear before police arrived. It happened at the Walmart at 124th and 88th Avenue at around 8 in the evening on Saturday. Police aren't speculating on the motive. We also don't know which department he was shopping in. But if you have information, they would like to hear from you. That's correct. Uh, Coming up, a BC musician reaching new heights. His recent performance at base camp on Mount Everest and why he feels like he's always in front of an audience. But first, more and more evidence Russia is deliberately aiming for civilian targets. Flow is out and traffic is moving well in both directions here on Highway 99 to and from the Massey Tunnel. Just overnight road work between 9 p.m. and 5 a.m. south of the tunnel near Ladner Trunk. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. Interest you listening Global One at the Massey Tunnel. One of the most strategic cities in Ukraine that Moscow has its eye on is the port city of Odessa. And over the last 48 hours, Russian forces have carried out a number of airstrikes, destroying a lot of civilian infrastructure. Global's Reggie Cicchini has the latest. For a country claiming it isn't targeting civilian infrastructure, this shopping mall in Odessa paints a picture that fits into a disturbing trend. Civilian buildings located far from any military installation was hit, a member of Ukraine's operational command says. Odessa is a crucial target for Russia as it looks to close off Ukraine's access to its own ports. And while rockets are striking the south, they're also flying in the rebel-held Donetsk region in the east, where more homes were struck and more non-military structures, including those with Russian ties. They've deliberately destroyed their own church, this Ukrainian soldier says. After his surprise visit to Ukraine over the weekend, the prime minister, now back in Ottawa, voiced dismay at what he saw firsthand. This war has caused devastation, and that's all on Vladimir Putin. The West is hellbent on holding Russia accountable. The EU is planning a sixth round of sanctions, but an oil embargo is meeting pushback. Slovakia is among the hesitant, 
with Ukraine's president telling its lawmakers, wean yourselves off Russia, especially oil, because it's a matter of freedom. While consequences are determined, the losses are mounting. We have corroborated 7,061 civilian casualties. The UN believes that figure to be thousands higher, with so many cities inaccessible and so many hospitals struck preventing patient care. Effects of this conflict will cascade down through generations to come. An unknown future threat against new assessments from the US that this war will become more violent and more unpredictable in the weeks ahead, leaving less room for negotiation. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. A stark warning for residents of the Okanagan about bats. Interior Health is reminding people that touching bats, either dead or alive, is probably not a good idea. The warning comes as the mammals come out of hibernation. Interior Health says here in B.C., between 4 and 8 percent of bats that come into contact with people test positive for the rabies virus, with 132 people in the region treated for potential exposure to rabies last year alone. To stay safe, the health authority recommends people not touch bats and bat-proof their homes. If a bat finds its way inside, open the windows and close interior doors until the bat leaves. This is also a reminder to vaccinate your pets against rabies. Still ahead, scanning Oak Island. What an adventure to, to explore a 200-year-old mystery. A tube containing made-in-B.C. technology that could help these explorers find ancient treasure. Also ahead, why some people are railing against a new ban on certain e-bikes at this popular Okanagan Trail. Electric bike riders in the North Okanagan say new rules banning certain e-bikes on the north end of a popular trail are unfair. Only Class 1 or low-speed pedal-assisted e-bikes are now allowed on the Okanagan Rail Trail from Coldstream to Kelowna. Class 2 throttle-assisted e-bikes and Class 3 e-bikes with a motor are banned due to complaints about speed. No one has been ticketed under the bylaw passed by North Okanagan Regional District last year, and some say an e-bike speed limit would be a better way to address the issue. That might be something that we could also explore, I think, as an additional educational tool. Um, we have heard from others in some other areas that it's tricky. You know, how do you monitor speed? How do you inf enforce that? Throttle for certainly, you know, our retired group and the older demographics, it's a winner. It gets you out. They're not sitting in front of the TV. You know, they're not burdening our health system because they're using their knees and backs. And all of a sudden, you've taken that away. And I think that's really unfair. Class 2 e-bikes with the throttle deactivated are still allowed. The regional district says the new policy is focused on safety. I'm sure this won't be the end of that discussion, though. Nope. Uh, and lots of people wanting to use that rail trail, um, or will be in the weeks to come. Mm -hmm. Christy, as the weather starts to get more spring and summer-like. Yes, but as we talked about earlier, we just don't want it to happen too quickly, do we? So I know that there may be people at home right now that may be worried because of the flood risk. We are at, at, at the province and BC River Forecast Center is really urging everyone to be prepared if you're in a flood area. Uh, but I wanted to show you one of the tools that we'll be using over the next several weeks to really give an indication of whether or not we will see this change in weather pattern that we've been talking about. So, so far, what we've had is these pools of cold upper level lows shifting across 
across the province, and that's what's kept us cool and unsettled. Here's a look. So it is indicated by, this is generally the jet stream pattern that we're looking at, and it, these cool, unsettled lows are indicated by these blue circles you can see coming down. And it's one thing after another. We are going to continue to see it through the weekend and into early next week. But it looks like the trend. Now, this is still a ways away, so we're really tentative about putting too much emphasis on this type of thing. But there could be a ridge towards sort of May 20th. This is why I really urge you to keep tuning back in. We're going to continue to look at that pattern in the weeks ahead, and we'll keep you up to date if we really start to see that change. In the meantime, we are going to see a change. Vancouver Island periods of rain tomorrow, and the same for the Sunshine Coast area. For Metro Vancouver, just a 40% chance of showers during the day, but we'll see that rain by the evening hours tomorrow, and certainly wet across the north and central coast. The rainfall not yet pushing into the interior regions tomorrow, although temperatures still remaining below seasonal for this time of year. But there's the rainfall for Vancouver Island. For our region, it's not until the evening hours, but it certainly will be wet Wednesday night into our Thursday and cool as well with a high of only 10 degrees on Thursday. We rebound a little bit on Friday, but we're back to periods of rain at this point over the weekend. Tonight, I will leave you with uh, the Central Windows weather window, which is coming to you from Dundas Island. Now, Naomi, I hope I'm saying this correctly. This is in the Chimshian territory. Gorgeous sunset. Thank you so much to Naomi White for sharing that one with us. Back to you guys. Beautiful spot up there. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. So it's a mystery that has intrigued treasure hunters for more than 200 years and speculation has run wild. Now a BC company could help unlock the secret and buried treasure believed to be hidden on Nova Scotia's Oak Island. Aaron MacArthur has more on the technology used in the exploration and how it works. This is the start of the Muon program. The mystery of Oak Island stretches back generations. While the treasure hunters who traverse this Nova Scotian island have been stymied at every turn, they have now found some unlikely help in the form of a BC technology company. Ideons, detectors, can quite literally see through solid rock. We use um, supernova explosions in space to help image down to a kilometre beneath the Earth's surface. Ideons technology relies on muons. Sensors detect the subatomic particles and transmit the data to the cloud, where a complex algorithm turns 2D data points into a 3D picture. While the technology is proven, helping the hunters on Oak Island was an interesting way to gain some valuable exposure. It's very exciting to be around a group of people uh, who are so dedicated uh, to the cause. We're really hopeful about the results. Adion was born out of the Triumph Lab at UBC, Muon tomography has been studied for decades, but the technology was too bulky. This entire, the Richmond uh, company spent the last several years shrinking detectors that were the size of small cars into a tube no wider than a cup of coffee. These tubes can now fit down exploration boreholes. The primary focus is the mining industry, especially mining for minerals used in green tech. The world is moving quickly to um, embrace sustainable energy, moving away from fossil fuels, and to make that shift, the world needs a 500% increase in a range of critical minerals, and so we're laser-focused on helping the world find those minerals to enable the energy transition. The only catch, the results are slow to arrive. 
Muons might be everywhere, but because they're random, detectors have to be left underground for up to seven months in order for results to appear. Hello, everybody. The mystery of Oak Island might be solved with muon technology, but the secret is safe for a while yet, at least until next season. Who knows what lies beneath? Aaron MacArthur, Global News. It's called a teaser. Man, it's been 19 years of that, I think, for those guys, maybe more. All right, Squire is here now um, to talk about the Canucks luck. Well, when it comes Not to great. lotteries, their luck is about as good as ours. You know what the Canucks should have done years ago when this whole NHL draft lottery started? They should have brought Barry DeLay oh, yeah. to be the guy who sits in there and waits for the balls to drop. Because we know he's good at lotteries. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the Canucks barely had any chance of winning the NHL draft lottery today. And needless to say, they didn't. But we'll tell you who didn't talk about where the Canucks will pick. All right. Sounds good. Thanks very much, Squire. Also tonight, BC's sitar star and how his love of the instrument takes him to some unusual places. Canucks had some luck. Unfortunately, it was bad luck when it came to the draft lottery. If it wasn't for bad luck, they'd have no luck at all, as I was <laughs> once told. My apologies for my hair, folks. Um, what is happening tonight? Well, I don't know what's happening, but I'm not liking it. Uh, this year's NHL draft will be all about Montreal. Not only are the Habs hosting the draft in July, they also had the best chance of winning the lottery to be the number one team choosing in the draft. The first overall selection in the 2022 NHL Draft belongs to the Montreal Canadiens, which means number two, the New Jersey Devils. Congratulations to the Canadiens for the second... Well, the Canucks didn't move up, nor did they move down. They stayed at the number 15 spot, which I'd hate to say is a position in the draft that historically has produced more who's that than who's who. Uh, even though it's still a pretty high pick when you consider how many players get drafted in a given year. Um, there has been a whole bunch of blah choices at number 15, but there have been some very good ones as well. Some Hall of Famers have been drafted 15th overall, so to make you feel better, Canucks Nation, here are five notables, including one who is currently a Canuck. The uh, late, great Mike Bossy was a steal at 15th overall. A lot of teams who didn't choose him thought he wouldn't be tough enough for the NHL. Boy, were they wrong. Burnaby Joe Sackick, a fab 15. A couple of Norris Trophy winning defensemen, Al McKinnis, Eric Carlson, of course, who is still playing. Not like he used to be able to play, but still playing. They were 15th overalls. So was J.T. Miller, picked by the Rangers 11 years ago. Uh, honorable mentions, who were 15th overall draft picks. Alexei Kovalev, who had a wonderful career. Uh, Dylan Larkin and Montreal's Cole Caulfield. Okay. Lightning in Toronto, Game 5, Series tied, 2-2. Lightning get off to a quick start. It's uh, Kucherov, it's Steven Stamkos, it's 1 for Tampa, 0 for Toronto. And then on the uh, power play, not too uh, long after the Stamkos goal, Victor Hedman finds the sweet spot. 
2-0. Quick start for the Lightning. Lightning strikes twice. Boy, was that an obvious line. Then Toronto starts getting it together. This one bounces in off John Tavares. He finally gets a goal in this series off his skate. And the Leafs added two quick ones early in the third. So now they have a 3-2 lead. The series, as we said, is even at 2-2. Now the All-BC series in the Western Hockey League between Kamloops and Vancouver has switched to the Langley Event Center for a Game 3 tonight, which will start at 7 o'clock, a few minutes. The Blazers, of course, heavily favored. They won the first two games at home, so this is obviously a must game for the Giants. You don't want to go down 0-3. It's too big a mountain to climb. As for Kamloops, a 3-0 lead would be brilliant. So with all that in mind, let's go to Langley, where Jay Janauer is standing by. Game three tonight of the Vancouver Giants series against the Kamloops Blazers. Kamloops leading 2-0 this series. They've won six straight hockey games. When you look at the play of the Kamloops Blazers, Mark Hollick, associate coach, I have to think you have to be pleased with the way things have gone, having won six straight. Yeah, so far so good. I mean, uh, we had a good opening series against Spokane. Uh, the schedule helped us a bit. We started with the first three in our building uh, and then went down to Spokane for the single. But, uh, you know, that seemed to help, but it got our, got our guys rolling you know, right out of the gate, we had a real strong game one and just kind of continued on. I'm glad you mentioned that because your goal differential is plus 23 right now heading into game three tonight against the Vancouver Giants. When I look at this series, it features the top three point getters in the playoffs right now with Zach Stopchuk, Fabian Lizell, and of course, Logan Stamkoven. Logan's got a point in every game of the series, but he hasn't scored though. No, he hasn't scored yet. And he usually gets, uh, you know, a little hungry and uh, we're hoping he can be a, a puck hound here tonight. He's usually hunting that puck pretty good and Gets after it. He's he's got a real good motor. Um, that's his strength. He loves to, you know, uh, hunt pucks down in the offensive zone. He likes to get it to the net. He really uh, he's a real strong forechecker for us. The Kamloops Blazers look to take a commanding three nothing series lead tonight when they take on the Vancouver Giants. Seven o'clock at the Langley Event Center. Keep in mind though, the Vancouver Giants have won two straight hockey games here, winning games four and game six to eliminate the Everett Silvertips in round one of the playoffs. Three Canadians are winners at the Italian Open Tennis Tournament. Felix Auger-Aliassim, Denis Shapovalov, and Bianca Andreescu all won their matches. Andreescu defeated Emma Raducanu, who of course was the one who beat Leila Fernandez for the U.S. Open title last year. Uh, the first set went to uh, Bianca Andreescu, then back issues forced uh, Raducanu to retire. And, of course, Andreescu won the uh, U.S. Open in 2019. Good to see her back and playing now mm. more than last year. There you go. Uh, my friend who's a hairdresser says, your hair looks great. She doesn't know what you're talking about. <laughs> anyway. Well, actually, when it comes to the hair, I clearly don't know what I'm talking about, but your friend is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Squire. All right, up next, a BC musician on top of the world with one of his latest performances. Some musicians dream of playing Carnegie Hall, the Grand Old Opry, the O2 Arena, but a local sitar player chose the top of the world as his stage. Sharanjit Singh is making a name for himself with his open-air concerts, including a recent performance on Mount Everest. Jay Durant tells us how he got his start. A recent trip to Nepal was an opportunity Sharanjit Singh could not pass up. A group of fellow nature lovers wondered if he would be interested in seeing Mount Everest. And I said, I will come on one condition, my sitar is coming with me. This performance at base camp is just the latest in a series of open-air shows. Most times, though, it's just Sharon Jeet and the great outdoors. Here I say I'm performing in front of my favorite audience. That's what I say. Trees, skies, clouds, waves. I just play for them. 
This musical odyssey started in India and was really fueled when as a teenager his teacher told him to just focus on his academics. She told me that you think that you might be smart enough to do science and all that but you are not smart enough to do music. That was all the motivation he needed. He convinced his parents to buy him a sitar and he's learned from several very accomplished players. Seven years ago, the sitar star moved to BC to learn Western classical music and has since toured the West Coast performing in front of live audiences. You see it's a different kind Each of, of his seven here. instruments has a name. This is Surbahar. Her name is Kalindi. I'm yet to give that sitar a name. That is Anjuman. It's a love for music that's been slowly gaining followers thanks to a desire to play everywhere and for anyone who wants to listen. Here uh, in Canada, Indian classical music is just this little uh, sproutling. It's growing and I, I have a little part here. I have a little uh, niche for my music. So I'm grateful for that. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, don't forget to email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. His fingers are flying. Mm -hmm. A little bit like Squire at the typewriter. Except, it's Except he's hitting the right notes. Yeah. I'm hitting all the wrong letters. <laughs> Never. <laughs> as long oh, as he yeah. can read the script, it's fine. Only he can. You know Only that, I can right? read it. It's, it's written in the language that is not known by any other human. <laughs> it is true. All right, enjoy that sunset out there, everybody. Thanks very much for watching, and we'll see you back here tomorrow. Good night, all. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.